happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome, presented, of course, by DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Download the DraftKings app, do it today, and use the promo code CHAMP to get in on all the action. Guys, we got a great show coming up today. Coming up, I'll give you some news about Francis Ngannou. I'm also going to tell you what makes Israel Adesanya so special. Plus, I'm wondering if anything will be different between Volkanovski and Holloway the third time around. All of that later. But let's begin with the action from last weekend. Rachmanov. What do you want to do, guys? Where do you want to put him? He went through Neil Magny. There's not a lot of men that can make that claim. He was never in trouble. He had his way. He finds a submission. Not to mention he fainted that submission about eight times before he went through it. I mean, you could have written it down on a piece of paper and held it up to the fence for Magny in his corner to read. Any clear that he was looking for a guillotine, particularly with the left arm in. I don't fault anybody. I mean it just to compliment Rachmanov. You then have a very stoic approach. And if you were to look back over history, we have another guy that has that approach where he's half awake during the fight. He's half awake in the locker room. He's half awake in the warm-ups. He's half awake when the fight's going on and when it's over. His name's Fedor. And it's a very compelling approach to have somebody that that is stoic, to have somebody that can either not have the emotions that you feel a person should have in that moment or that can hide them well enough to make you believe that they don't possess the emotion. Either way, it's a very fascinating and a very rare thing. It would seem to me that the less Rachmanov does speaking, the better. And we've had this tested just recently. I remember Daniel Cormier making this very claim as it pertained to Chemayev. Cormier was telling Chemayev, stay off of YouTube, stay off of the internet, remain mysterious. And you never know, right? You never know until they go and do the other side. But I fully understood what Daniel's point was as it pertained to Chemayev. Now, I think as we look back, we all realize that Chemayev had the personality. It was okay to break through that wall, and he's even more popular. But what about Rachmanov? What about that same principle that Daniel was attempting to apply to Chemayev? What if we did apply it to Rachmanov? I feel that it could be helpful. Rachmanov called out Wonderboy. Interesting. Why? I don't, I don't have that answer. I, I wish that he would have illustrated a little bit more. If I was to guess, Wonderboy doesn't have an opponent right now. If I was to guess, Wonderboy is pretty likely to agree. If I was to guess, Wonderboy has a beautiful ranking. Okay, is that the fight that we go with? And I will tell you guys until I'm blue in the face the importance of callouts. And a lot of times you'll misinterpret it and think that it's trash talk. There was nothing trash oriented on Rachmanov, and there's nothing inducing trash that I ever attempt to speak to. But this is scientific to some degree. If you were to talk about a card that you anticipated, and you were to put that in rankings, I anticipated this more, and I put this more, and you were to put a number next to all of them, and then you were to go look at the number of fights on the card, which is going to be 11, and then you looked at how many of those fights involved a call-out. The cards that you anticipate more are going to have more of that ingredient known as a call-out. 
you're going to have other cars that you don't anticipate that much. And you want to talk about you're a fight fan. You want to talk about how great it is. And you want to talk about nobody should miss. I understand and I do appreciate that. But the one thing that those cards don't have in conjunction to the cards that you really want to see is the call out. You just have matchups. And then you try to sell the sport and it's in a cage and it's something to do on a Saturday night. Like that will get you to the next stop. But Rachmanov calling out Wonderboy. I'm curious what Wonderboy's going to say. My guess is he's going to accept it. Wonderboy's so damn nice, he might even ask, why? What did I do? Right? It could get really interesting. I don't know that Wonderboy is coming off of a win. Off the top of my head, his last fight was, was Gilbert Burns, of which he didn't win. Did I miss one in there somewhere? But I, I don't believe that Wonderboy's coming off a win. Rachmanov has never been beaten. Why is he calling out Wonderboy? Wonderboy has never upset anybody. He's never offended anybody. He's never done anything right. Why, why Rachmanov call him out? I don't have to have the answer to this, by the way. I want to see that match either way. I'm compelled and drawn to it either way. But there is something going on within the Ultimate Fighting Championship, that company specifically. There is something going on that I want to uncover because it will make me smarter and I'll learn something. I see colleges do this all the time, guys, where you're rebuilding. Coach comes in, big stars going out. You got MVPs, you got guys getting signed to the NFL. You you got a guy that's up for the Heisman. You got them all in the same class. They go and they got to have this rebuilding phase. And the UFC is very strategically doing something along those lines. I'm not there. I don't have this figured out yet. But I'm, I'm scratching the surface. We have stars. Steve Miocic comes to mind. George Masvidal comes to mind. Colby Covington comes to mind. Big stars within the sport. Where's Connor? What is Nate Diaz doing? Is Nick Diaz ever going to fight again? Big, massive stars that are sitting on the sideline. Meanwhile, we're having all these new, these younger guys up-and-coming, showing their skills off, getting on television, telling their story, creating hype. Very easily, a new guy that isn't one of the stars, if you will, will break into that realm. Very easily. I don't think Rachmanov going out, beating Agni, doing it in such easy fashion, doing it in a co-main event, and by the way, having a call-out. I don't know that all of those perfect ingredients are enough to break in to the Diaz and the Malzvidals and the Covingtons and the John Joneses of the world. I, I'm not proclaiming that it would, but if he did it two more times, if he did it one more time, it's very interesting. And, and the UFC isn't in any kind of a hurry to bring these really big names back in. They're in this building phase. There's something strategic about it. I don't know what it is. I'm close. I'm close. I'm looking in the right direction. I would love your guys' feedback. I would love a little back and forth, see if we can figure out what's going on here. But we're all going to learn something about this business, about this sport, about this industry, if we can figure that out. There is some kind of a new process that's going on. And guys like Rachmanov, who are very good and very impressive and working their way up the card. I mean, he's only one spot away, right? He's at the co-main event. He's 15 and 0. If I'm wrong, he's 16 and 0. There's only so much further that he can do. But to climb one of the ingredients that he needs, a rung of that ladder has to be a name fighter such as Wonderboy. And your callouts are so important that you get them. They're so important. If you call for somebody and you look weak, if you get absolutely no response, if you don't get the fight, but if you don't even get a response from the guy, 
If your voice is so small and so weak that the guy that you've called out doesn't even have to respond, nobody reaches out to him, nobody pressures him on social media, nobody calls him up, puts a microphone in front of his mouth, says, what do you think of this? If you don't get that, it's very bad. Because now you look weak. It's important that you look strong. Nobody has any strength in this business, but you can look like you have strength. You can look like something is your idea. I'll be curious where Wonder Boy goes. I don't know that anybody's ever called him out. One, Wonder Boy's a super tricky fight, and two, everybody likes him. It was a little bit of a surprise call out for me by Rachmano, but as I watched an entire evening of wonderful fights, I only saw one call out, and it was by Rachmanov. I want to know why. Why Wonder Boy? Why would a guy on 15 fight win streak call out a guy who's not? What's on it? Why is it important to him? What do you guys think? Wonder Boy versus Rachmano. Do you like it? Moving away from this weekend, some news came out about one of the UFC's biggest stars, and I believe it could have a big effect on what happens for the rest of the year. Let's get into it. Francis Ngannou has let us all know that he's doing better. He's talking about his knee, how that it's healing. Says that he'll be back in December, ready to fight somebody. Now, I know that sounds like a very simple comment, but it's a big deal, and it's very helpful that Francis gives us that. Like, if we're going to start talking about Francis or we're going to start speculating on Francis, we need a little something from him. This is the first thing that I've heard him say that's come across my desk, if you will, in a meaningful period of time. But if he comes back in December, guys, you get your undisputed champion coming back. He hasn't been stripped. He's also not going to be stripped within that time frame. When you have an injury, you're out for very good reason. Like, you're not even eligible to be stripped, right? But hold that thought, December's not that far away. And if we are going to get what we believe to be Stipe versus John Jones and what we believe to be an interim title fight, that's an interesting position if you go look at a calendar. Like Stipe versus Jones to fight, I think, would need to be for an interim title. There's nothing that says that. That's just Chael sharing his opinion. It just seems like if you got those behemoths in there, those absolute studs with these beautiful resumes, something's going to have to be on it, or one of them might not come to the table. I have no evidence to what I'm saying to be true. I've just always believed, somewhere within my own mind and heart, that if Stipe and John Jones fight, there's going to be a championship. If we push that out and we can't come to a contract resolution with Francis, it could be for an undisputed title. But more likely, we're going to see it sooner rather than later. It's going to be for an interim title. I mean, I'm just stating the obvious, aren't I? Well, it certainly seems obvious until Francis comes back and says, I'm going to be ready by December. And all of a sudden, I realize, hey, wait a minute. We're in the second part of the year. At what point can you hold an interim title fight at heavyweight when you're a heavyweight champion who's out? Not because of contract. you got to push the contract aside. Before we get to whatever alleged contract dispute there was with Francis, we have to bring in the fact this is a human being who has an injury. There's a lot of grace shown when somebody is wounded, always, at everything in life. So at what point, realistically, could you announce Stipe versus Jones? 
from the day that you announce Stipe versus Jones, what is a reasonable amount of time by our industry standards that you're actually going to see them into the cage with one another? And we don't have any indication that Stipe versus Jones is getting close. As a matter of fact, I don't hear any talk about it at all. Now, there's plenty of fights that go and get booked that old Chael doesn't hear about. But guys, you haven't either. There's not even a rumor. There's not Team Stipe has said. There's not pictures seeping out. Here's Stipe in training camp looking sharp as he prepares for John Jones. Like these rumors and speculation that we hear where there's always a little spark before there's a fire, before there's a big match. We're not hearing anything about this. We're not hearing Jones come out and demanding that Stipe come to the table quickly or you get me somebody else. Like We haven't even gotten to these points. And we come to those points and we check a whole bunch of them off the list before we finally get anything done in this sport all the time. So get your calendar out and just think of it in that perspective. If there's five months left in the year and Francis is telling us he's going to be back in five months, Okay, then how likely are we to get Stipe versus Jones? Can we do Stipe versus Jones without putting a title up? That, that, that is fiction. That is, that is me making things up. I'm telling you, you can't do that fight unless you have a belt. There's no proof to that. But do you guys feel that too? I think we all feel if you're going to get those two guys in there, we're going to have to put something on it. Now, maybe we just do that in the media. Maybe we just say that this is the number one contenders match. That's something. But in the meanwhile of waiting for that fight, you're going to have Surreal Gunn, you're going to have Ty T. Vasa, you're going to have some of these guys, you're going to have Curtis Blades, you're going to have some of these guys that are active and busy and starting to earn that right and starting to say, hey, just a moment to this number one contender's business. John doesn't get to sit out for two years and come in and be a number one contender. Stipe doesn't get to come to us off of a loss. When I'm batting three in a row, I'm batting four in a row. I mean, these are the arguments that the heavyweights have to make. They're not making them. But I think when Tom Aspinall, just by example, starts to come out and starts to lay out what he's done and how frequently he's done it and asks you to juxtapose that against a guy in John Jones who's never been in the division and a guy in Stipe who's going into possibly a title fight coming off of a loss, those things mean absolutely nothing unless somebody makes them mean something. If I'm a sitting heavyweight, I'm going to spell that out as clear as I can for anyone to listen You are holding up a title to the point that the champion says he won't be back in December. Oh, and by the way, he's got a contract dispute. Oh, and by the way, his knee is in a brace. I'm then going to bring into the fact that what you're calling a number one contender's foul and what you're saying you're going to put an interim title on has a guy who's never been in the vision taking on a guy who's coming off of a knockout loss. Guys, here, that doesn't sound good. But none of you ever thought of it. Nobody ever did that math. You just heard the biggest name of John Jones, and you heard the biggest name of Stipe, and you thought, what in the hell it should be for an interim championship? And it should, and it will. But if I'm a heavyweight in that division, I'm going to make sure that this is crystal clear. I'm going to make sure that you understand I won five of my last seven, that I have won four in a row, stopping three of them. Whatever it is, I'm going to start to make my case. Nobody's made this case at heavyweight. And the more time we put in between it, the more likely it is that somebody finally does speak up. And say, just a second, how do you get to the conclusion that this is the number one contenders fight? Just a second, how do you get to the conclusion that this is even an interim title fight? And no one's going to ask and no one's going to look. It's their job to bring this forward. And as Francis is coming back and Francis says that he's going to be back in December, I do think that it makes it interesting. At a minimum, I think it, I think it's interesting. Jones and Stipe is the fight to make, without question. 
If I had a magic wand in MMA and I could just tell you a dream fight, I would go and make that fight. But the rest of the guys in the division don't have to just sit there and take it, particularly if you're putting a number one contendership or you're putting an interim on the line. At some point, somebody's going to ask, and they're going to make this known to the media, that the two guys that you picked, one of them's never been in the division, and one of them just got stopped. Meanwhile, I haven't lost in two years. And it's not just me. This guy and this guy haven't lost in their last four fights. You start to have a real discussion. Somebody has to start it. It's not me. It's the guys within the weight class. But knowing that daddy's coming home in December, if you're going to do this interim business, it would seem to me, get on with it. The calf slicer. The Peruvian necktie. There are a ton of ways to come out on top in the octagon. And for UFC 276, there's one more. With DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. New customers can bet $5 on any fighter to win and get $100 in free bets, win or lose. Whether it's Adesanya with a knockout kick or a powerful punch from Cannoneer, you win no matter the outcome. And with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can turn another small bet into a big payday. Combine multiple bets, like which fighter will win, number of knockouts, and more. For UFC 276, you can place a Same Game Parlay, and if it hits, you'll win double. Guys, this card is stacked. And you can make the night a little bit more interesting by placing a bet with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Do it right now. Use the promo code CHAIL. Bet $5 on any UFC 276 fighter to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code CHAIL this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Sean Strickland's teammate was talking about his upcoming fight with Alex Pierre. And now this is a really interesting fight. I don't want anybody to miss it. I feel like it should be hyped just a little bit more than it is. One of these guys, by rumor, is going to be fighting Adesanya next. I believe that rumor. But here's the thing. And don't ever miss this when it comes to an Izzy Adesanya fight, right? If there's anything that Izzy Adesanya has done a great job of, it is steering his own career. There is nobody within the UFC who tells us who he'll be fighting next. It never happens. People come out with call-outs. They lay out their case. They say who they would like to fight. We've seen all things, uh, sorts of things like this, and a lot of times we see them get their way. That is completely different than Adesanya absolutely being the one to tell us who he's going to fight and then going to fight him. And this dates back to however long is he's been the champion. I was there. I was there in Australia the night that he took on Robert Whitaker. I just can't tell you guys the year. 2019 feels right to me. For years, this guy has been saying who he's going to fight next. He's the one that came out and said he was going to fight Jared Cannonier. Nobody was pushing for that fight. And don't let your memories tell you something different. Don't let your memories come to a conclusion that Jared did everything right and Jared beat everybody in front of him and Jared didn't do any of his talking through Twitter. He went down there and kept his nose to the ground. Don't be some prick that does that. And I know there's plenty of you that do, but you're rewriting history. That is not what happened and that is not why Jared Cannonier is here. Izzy Adesanya came out and told us all, if Cannonier wins this next fight, I will fight Cannonier next. And he even stated why. 
He said he got sat at an event next to Cannoneer, who at the time was a total stranger to him. Is he comes to his seat and sees, oh, great, I'm next to this guy. Next to a fellow 85-pounder who wants what I got. This is going to be a long and drawn-out night. So he goes to his spot to take in the show. And it turns out Cannoneer turns to him, introduces himself, and is a hell of a guy. I think that's a very fascinating story. This was the opposite of a call-out. And Adesanya left that evening. What would have they been together? Three, four hours at an event? Adesanya left that evening and said, I really like him. And if he ever gets himself to a position where I have the final word, I'm giving him the shot. I really like that guy. It's an interesting story. It's the opposite of promotion. There's a reason that that story has been buried. There's a reason that nobody's talking about that story. The other side of the coin, for those of you purists out there who think that Jared got this spot by doing everything right and not calling anyone out and just being a hard-working, you're telling the story wrong. That isn't what happened. And I do think that it's meaningful because if you make it to one of these positions, you make it to the main event of a world title fight, okay, whatever comes next is going to be something massive for you unless you've totally played your cards wrong. And you guys out there that think you're wonderful matchmakers, if I ask you who's out of Sunday you're going to fight next, you're going to jump right up and you're going to have an answer and you're going to tell me everything that he's done and the reason that they should be matched up. But if I put the gun on you and I go, okay, well, tell me if he loses, who do you put him with? All of a sudden, your mouths go quiet. All of a sudden, you're not so creative. And if I ask you if Cannoneer wins, who should his first defense be? You're all going to have all these answers and you're going to come up. But if I ask you if Cannoneer loses, who are you going to put him with? All of a sudden, you're not the great matchmaker that you thought you were. And it's a very precarious position because one guy that we don't have to wonder, when we go home on Saturday night, by the time they clean that octagon up, the final press conference get done, and everybody takes the bus and pulls out a T-Mobile, we're going to know who Adesanya's fighting because he's going to tell us. It appears that he's going to call out the winner of Pierre versus Strickland. Now, Adesanya would love to fight Pierre. He's been telling anybody that from before Pierre was even signed to the organization. But Adesanya is now speaking up about Strickland. Strickland's new teammate has weighed in on this and said, if Strong does what we tell him to do, we in the gym tell him to do, he's going to take Pierre down. He's going to strangle him and go home. But the teammate was very clear to say, I don't know if stubborn Sean is going to do what we've all told him to do. I don't know that he's not going to go out there and trade with him. And I do think that that's a fascinating angle. Because I'm not convinced of it either. I'm not convinced Sean's going to go out there, try to clinch him, try to tackle him down, and get on the ground. I do agree with the teammate who says that it would be wise, but I also think that you're going to be very surprised to how good the kickboxing is of Sean Strickland. I think Sean can go for blow for blow, punch for punch, and kick for pick with a world kickboxing champion. I really believe that. If you tell me I'm crazy, we're we're all only got to wait till this Saturday to find out who's right. But whatever comes of it, of the win or of the loss, there's things for Sean to do. There's things for Alex to do. And I'm not convinced that Cannoneer has put himself in that position. And so many times when you go to the fans and you ask them to be the matchmakers, you go, okay, what will you do with Jared if he loses to Izzy? So many times you guys are going to come up with some beautiful answer of you put him in there with and you come up with a Vittori or you put him in there with and you come up with a Sean Strickland or you put a a Robert Whitaker. The part that you miss and you will continue to miss and nobody's going to explain this to you. Nobody's ever going to admit what is true, what I'm about to tell you is true, which is you don't put a guy that you don't want fighting for your championship in a potential number one contenders match. And the audience always misses that when they attempt to be 
at-home matchmakers. You think, well, it should be this guy and this guy, and he should climb his way back. He'll work his way back. You don't put a guy that you don't want in that spot in that position to start with. And it does worry me for Jared Cannonier. It does. I do think that there's an opportunity there when he was missed. And in full disclosure, I had the same experience with Jared Cannonier that Adesanya did, which is I met him, and he was great. And I don't ever hear myself over here saying good things about Jared. I want to, though. I don't ever put him down. I don't ever say anything against Jared. But I also do recognize, too, that I don't say things to build him up. And I wish that I did. I think that his story of being a truck driver in Alaska, where there's not a ton of MMA, having to leave that location, drop down two different weight classes, climbing his way, not only onto the main card, to the co-main event, to the main events, entering the five-round club, and now ultimately headlining the most coveted card of the year. I feel like it's a situation where if he succeeds, you have this glorious moment. But if he fails, he falls into something very special. And if I was to go over International Fight Week, and I was to go historically over the headliners, and I didn't look at the winners, I didn't look at the champions, if I was to do a historical breakdown for you of the losers of the main event on International Fight Week, there's some of your biggest stars. There's some of your most sought-after competitors by you, the audience. I don't know how much Cannoneer is positioning himself for that. Now, there's a major respect in somebody that burns their boats and puts everything into, into a basket. I get that. Don't think that you have to correct me on that. But I will tell you that if Adesanya loses the belt, whatever he does next, because of the table that he set for himself, it's going to be big. And it's going to be a main event, and you're all going to want to see it. And in a very quick period of time, the proverbial snap of the fingers, you're going to forget that he lost. The great ones, you always forget that they lost. They don't come out and remind you. They don't come and talk about what could have happened or how training was or, oh, I didn't feel good, but I hit it from everybody, including the commission. They don't do that. They move right on to the next guy. Like it never happened. They blow right on past it, and they start building something else for themselves. It wouldn't kill me if we were in a fatal four-way, if you will. I would love the breakdown. Adesanya versus Cannoneer, put in a bracketed format. Piera versus Strickland. The winners fight each other, but the silver medalists fight each other. I would like to see something like that. But these things don't happen, and within this sport, we never play one of these brackets all the way till third. We never play it all the way till third, even though every other sport does. And the reason we don't do it is the guys don't call for it. They only plan for what's going to happen if I win. It's a very nice theory. It's a good thing to tell your, your, your nine-year-old child as you're trying to build his competitive outlook. It's a very nice thing to tell them, oh, we win and we win at all costs. It's a very nice thing to say, but then you don't teach how somebody how to get up and how to move forward. You go get the best that you can get. You're in a bracketed format and you lose. You come back and you do the best that you can get. I would love to see the winner of Cannoneer and Izzy advance against the winner of Strickland and Piera. But just food for thought, I would love to see both of the guys who lose those matches also get matched up. Have you ever thought of that? Staying at middleweight with all eyes on Israel Adesanya and Jared Cannoneer this Saturday night. 
It's a matchup we're all looking forward to. Now, let's break it down. Oh, guys, DraftKings right now. What do you think the spread is? What do you think the spread for Adesanya versus Jared is? Are you ready for this? Izzy is a plus 420. That's crazy in my opinion. I lean towards Adesanya. Four to one? What are you talking about? I feel like this is a major case of perception being a reality. Who is the bigger name? Without question, Adesanya. But this follows our sport all the time. And boxing is just as guilty. When you have a guy that's twice as popular, he goes into a fight as a two-to-one favorite every time. If a guy is he's three times more popular, he goes into a three... You've got Izzy at four-to-one. Let me tell you where this is a problem, okay? I can make a very strong case. I get how great Adesanya is. I get how dominant Adesanya is. But hold that thought, okay? How are you going to beat Izzy? Let me just ask you a very realistic question. You're a smart guy. You follow the sport. How are you going to beat Adesanya? Well, Chael, here's what you're going to have to tell me. You're going to have to tell me some variation of you take him down and you keep him there. And you're going to have to go all the way back to his debut where he takes on Marvin Vittori and he got held down, he got taken down, and he got held there. You're then going to fast forward as you're telling me about the ascension of Adesanya and how wonderful he was. And you're going to talk about the fact that Derek Brunson couldn't take him down in the first place. And then you're going to talk about the fact that when Kelvin Gatslam took him down, he threw up a triangle choke before he scrambled and got to his feet. Then you're going to eventually fast forward into the Yoel Romero fight where he wasn't even taken down. I understand the whole thing. I really do. But I didn't ask you, how does Izzy beat you? I asked you, how do you beat Izzy? I want you to really focus on that question. Now, if you play that same game with Jared Cannonier, you're going to come to the conclusion that you go out there and you outstrike him. Israel Adesanya is better with the punches and kicks than Jared is at taking people down. That's the conclusion you're going to come to. But if I ask you to just go to their very last fight, don't go any further than that. Just back up one. Jared Cannonier did not get outstruck. The very thing that has Izzy Adesanya a four to one favorite, which is the elbows and the knees and the hands and the feet, the very thing, it didn't happen to Cannonier in his last fight. I feel as though people are forgetting that. In fact, the shoe was on the other foot. Cannonier beat Brunson, but he lost the only completed round, which was the first round. He lost that night by getting outstruck. He got taken down and he got held there. It's very relevant that you understand that because we know in this sport you're only as good as your last fight. We love to say it all the time. We love to match guys up. We love to look at their popularity. We love to look at their rankings. We love to look at the commas and the dollar signs and the zeros in their paycheck all based upon their very last fight. And I will tell you a second time that Jared Cannonier in his last fight did not get outpunched and outkicked. Jared Cannonier didn't go out there and think that he had to take down his very last opponent, who was Brunson, and think he had to hold him into the fence and get to the clinch and drag him to the mat and eat up some time and gain favor with the judges. He didn't do any of that. So for Adesanya to beat Jared, he's not going to be able to do what just happened in Jared's very last fight. It's relevant that you know that because you love to talk this way every every other time. You love to forget about a, a body of a career. We have to forget about what a guy's done in his past. It's what have you done for me lately? We tend to operate on that under this sport. You're telling me that Izzy Adesanya is a four to one over Jerry Cannonier? Excuse me. If I was to go something called Google and I was just to do a search, I will find that Izzy Adesanya has tweeted four times for every cough that Jared Cannonier has done. I will see that Izzy Adesanya has been contacted by Brett Okamoto and Mark Ramonde of ESPN for every one time that Jared was asked for content. 
This is a hundred percent a case of a guy's popularity backing up what his odds are. Draft King, I, I'll tell you what, had I not known right now that DraftKings had Izzy as 4-1, if I wasn't armed with that, which I was not armed with 25 minutes ago when I sat down in this chair, I was not armed with that. I knew I was going to discuss this piece. I knew I was going to bring the odds to you. So I bring up on my phone, I look at the app, 420. If I was to guess, I would have told you 2-1. to one. And 2-1 to one is a very good guess. You're talking two to one out of 25 minutes, so the better part of three rounds, can Jared Cannonier put Adesanya in more precarious positions than he's going to be put in? Will he be able to touch somebody more? Everybody always talks about you got to hurt the guy and you got to do a combination. All this game is, is I touch you and you don't touch me. That's it. That's all we're doing in MMA. You can talk about black belts and experience and this guy's master and this guy's father did this and his brother said that and his mother loves him more. You can do this until you're blue in the face and it's a whole bunch of fun. I do it every single day. At the end of the night, whoever touched the other guy more times than he got touched wins. DraftKings believes four times to the effect that Adesanya can touch Jared, more times than he can get touched. That surprises me. Not to mention, if you were to look at Jared's very last fight, of which one round was completed, of which, by the way, he didn't win. Before you think that's a knock against Cannoneer, excuse me. It is just the opposite. That is a guy who can learn on the go. That is a guy who can adjust between rounds. That's a guy who can look what just happened and put it behind him, which not very many athletes can do. If you can live in the moment in sport, you will be great at your sport. If you ever go into a fight, you go into a baseball game, whatever it is, and prior to the competition, you're trying to win the competition. It's all you're thinking about. You're nervous. You can barely have breakfast that day. Maybe you didn't sleep so well the night before. You're just thinking about the outcome. You are not what world championship material is made of. If you have, let's just use a fight in this situation. There happens to be five rounds. If you can stay one round at a time, you are going to be a main eventer. You are going to be in front of everybody else. If you could break that down into 30-second intervals, you'll have done something no athlete's ever done. Does that surprise you, the audience? If you're able to look at this next 30 seconds, it doesn't matter what happened before, and it doesn't matter how many of these intervals I have to do the rest of the night. I can just live in this 30-second moment. You will have done something no other athlete can do. It's not even realistic. It's not even realistic to stay in the moment as much as you want to say it. If you can just go by rounds, which Jared Cannonier proved that he could do, he did that in his very last fight, evident of the fact that he lost the one and only round that was completed. He came back. He not only changed the trajectory of the fight, he flipped it so damn bad that he went from losing the round to winning the contest in its entirety. That is not the kind of a guy that you put at 4-1 to one money. That's the kind that you look, kind of guy you look at and you're impressed with him as a competitor. Then you've got to guess all of the intangibles. He's done no media. He stayed locked in. He stayed completely focused. They bring him out to UFC events. He does a quick cameo. He's not showing any emotion. He's locked in the moment. Those are the scariest guys. You'll never get a guy that can live in the moment. I'm telling you that right now. 
And if you ever meet someone that can even do it in 30, you think a round is five minutes, or you can break that down into five one-minute rounds. If you go even further, you have 10 30-second periods. As simple as that seems, what I just said to you, there's not a fighter out there that's ever been able to do it. And I don't propose for you that Jared Cannonier can live within 30-second intervals or even five 60-second intervals. But he has proven to us that he can do it in five-minute increments. And you're going to tell me that guy's a four-to-one dog? That's good money right there. It surprises me. I think it's a mistake. Jared Cannonier's up against it. Jared Cannonier is the B-side. B-side times four? No, I don't think so. Now, before the main event takes place, there's another featherweight title fight between Alex Volkanovsky and Max Holloway. There's been some interesting comments made by Max this week, and I think they deserve some attention. Max Holloway has joined the chorus, previous set forth by his soon-to-be opponent, Alex Volkanovsky, that he's going to leave the 145-pound division. Guys, what's the message there? I, I know what they're going for. I know what guys are going for when they talk about leaving their weight class. I feel like maybe I started that. And I know I find a way to insert myself all the time. But I was the number one contender at 185 pounds. I went on to Fox, which was the broadcasting partner at the time. And I said, I'm the number one contender, but I haven't said where I'm going to use it. I might go down to 170 and take on St. Pierre. And I might go up to 205 and challenge John Jones. The only thing I've been given is a number one contendership. I'll let you know when I'm good and ready what weight class I'm going to use that. Simple as that line was. Nobody had ever spoke that way. Nobody had ever become a number one contender and then talked about leaving their division. I mean, in all fairness, just to the time of the story, this was massive news. I'm getting responses from George St. Pierre, who's very hard to get a response from, even if you're signed to fight. I'm getting responses by John Jones. Now we're seeing guys that are in a division that are the best within their division. They're about to be crowned and recognized as the king of the division. They're talking about getting the hell out of the division. What does that do for you? If you're a 45-pounder and you're the leader of the 45-pound division and you don't want to be in the weight class, what subliminally, if nothing else, are you telling the world about your weight class where you're the kingpin? Take subliminal or not, you're openly telling them it's not a very interesting weight class. You're openly telling them it's not a very good weight class. It's, you're openly telling them it's not a weight class that you want to be at. Why would I make you a number one contender? Why would I put you in a world title fight? Why would I put my belt around your waist if you don't want it? I mean, not for nothing, you start to see things like this and you start to appreciate Khabib even more. I don't know where all Khabib could have gone. I know the rumors and reputation of the spread that he could have covered. But isn't it something pretty cool that he didn't want to? Isn't it something pretty special? Wasn't it a beautiful light that he shined right on 155 pounds that when he walked away, he left on 155, which by the way, is recognized to this day as the most difficult and toughest division that our sport has. Is that really true? I mean, I believe that it's true. I come and tell you guys that all the time. Is it really true or is this just the spotlight that could be put on it? Interesting concept, but the opposite is happening at 145. Whoever the champion is at this time next week has already told the media at current time right now that they want out. Both Volkanovsky and Max have said this. I mean, what is the message that they're giving? What message should we have? And just so you guys understand the economics of MMA, like this is not something confusing. 
This isn't something that you don't understand. Remember when we all had to live through the money fight? I want the money fight. Everybody said it. Do you remember that? Nobody quit saying it because they were annoyed with saying it or because we got tired of hearing them saying it. They finally got out a calculator, looked at their contract, and realized there's no such thing. You are incentivized financially one way as far as a money fight goes, which is to become the champion of your division and then receive participation on the back end known as the pay-per-view. There is a built-in mechanism through the sponsor of which used to be Reebok when we had to live through this money fight business and is now Venom that will escalate you based on if you're a champion or you're a contender. Like there are built-in things that can make your revenue go up. Aside from the escalation within your own contract, within your show fee, within your win fee, you coming out and having this really big fight that a whole lot of people want to see isn't actually a money fight, not for you. So it's a really tough one when I look at these guys and they're talking about what interesting matches there are other places. I don't know why they're doing it. What is it you're running from? And there is something. I can share with you, when you go to bed every single night, when you're driving in your car every single day and you're focused on the same group of guys, it's going to be roughly five guys, it's going to be about ten guys that you know you're going to have to go through, that you know sooner or later you have a high probability that you're going to be facing, that you've got this new up-and-comer who's a big pain in the ass but only you've recognized it and the world doesn't see it, so you're coming up with your strategies of how to keep him down here and not elevate him where you are. Like The strategies and the thought that you will go into will drive a man insane. And when you finally get the guys that break, they finally break. They can't take it anymore. They can't take the thought of the same guys coming after them anymore. They leave the division. That's what it is. It is a mental weakness when you talk about leaving your division. That's a side of it nobody wants to look at. But the fellow fighters who just heard me say that are all going, yeah, Chael's right. They all reach a breaking point where the only thing that they know how to do is to get out. We see this in the fight itself. It's advertised to the audience. The guy that's slipping outside, and he's digging to the bar, and he's coming back, and he's going upstairs. It's not. I'm either going to quit before I make you quit. That's all that we're doing. We're having a mental toughness battle, and we're going to test this physically. But mentally, this is about my will versus your will. And at some point, when you want out of the division, you've broke. And I can't understand this concept of why these guys are advertising or why do they think that it's a cool thing. And I think that part of them is within their own mind. They think they can make more money. They'll look at it and go, look, this potential matchup that I would have at 145, win or lose Saturday night, my potential next matchup is going to be fill in the blank. But if I go up to 155 pounds, I could get opposite so-and-so. And that's going to, right, it's one of these things, but your pay is going to be the same. If you're the sitting champion of 145, when you go up to 155, your pay is no longer the same. Your pay decreases because you're not in on the championship bonuses. That's okay. These guys would rather take less money in reality, telling you guys that they're doing it for more money. But to take less money in exchange for more money to escape the pressure cooker that is these 10 guys that play through their head Every time they close their eyes, every time they put their head on a pillow, every time they pick up a phone, every interview they do is worth it. Guys do not change their weight classes for any other reasons. And please, please don't mistake that. Please make sure that you understand that fully and clearly. A guy only gets out when he's broke. There's a number of things that can break a guy. There's a number of things that can drive somebody crazy, right? Chinese water torture is a very real thing. No matter how light and how subtle, if it happens nonstop, 
Why are these guys wanting out of their own division? What are they saying about the division? And moreover, this entire concept that both of them are doing the same interview, both Volkanovski and Max are talking about leaving the division, one of them's got to go first. If you want the headline and you want the bounce, you got to say it before the guy going opposite you. He might be at the microphone five minutes before you. Listen and hear if he says it, and if he does, change course. And you see these guys that are in a situation like Sandhagen where they don't pay attention to their own division. You want to get a headline, you want to make this real interesting if you're Mac or you're Volkanovsky. Two guys that I really respect. I don't want to give these guys a hard time. I'm not taking on Max and Volkanovsky here. I'm taking on the concept of leaving your division because it's never going to go away. One, I just want it clear for the audience. Nobody's leaving to make more money or for bigger fights. They're leaving because they've broke. Just so you know, make sure you're perfectly clear on that. But secondly, doing it on condition takes away from the fact that you're doing it all. Doing it on condition that I win is completely different than after this Saturday, I am no longer a 145-pounder. Win or lose, you're going to get a major bump when you go into a new weight class with a fresh coat of paint. It doesn't matter if you lost. You're now undefeated in this weight class. So if that's really what your objective is, and you're really trying to build something special, and you want to make it look like it's your idea that you weren't forced out, you want to hide from the whole world what Chael just revealed, that you've cracked, you can't make it conditional. This Saturday, win or lose, I am no longer a 45-pounder. That's a powerful statement. Anything short of that, you're disrespecting your division. You're doing the opposite of what Khabib did. You're not shining a light. You're dimming the light. Oh, and by the way, you're a liar. Khabib was asked his opinion. Who's going to win between Max versus Volkanovski? Now, Khabib weighed in. He was very diplomatic, but he did pick Volkanovski. And his reasoning was that Volk is staying busy. The Volk's just been in there a little bit more, that he's a little bit more comfortable. Now, hold that thought because generally I will always side with at least to the philosophy and principle that Khabib's speaking to. I do not believe as human beings we get better at something by not doing it. And particularly in this sport, I'm right far more often than I'm wrong. But let me bring up a point to you on Max. I felt as though Max beat Volkanovski. I thought maybe he beat him the first time. I wasn't bullish on it, but I thought he beat him. The second time, I was very bullish. I thought it was three rounds to two. It was crystal clear, and Max should have been the champion. So if they're fighting a third time, based on what I just told you to be true, it would seem as though I'm definitely picking Max, right? Well, hold on. One thing with the Volkanovski story. That's a big question mark for me going into this third fight. One thing, I apologize, with the Holloway story. Max got better in the pandemic. And if you guys will recall, he had nowhere to train. He was in Hawaii. They were very locked down, as was New Zealand. But Max goes out. He ends up in a, in a main event. He's fighting Cater. And he tells us all that he's locked down and he's doing his own training by himself. No teammates, no coach. Oh, and by the way, he's in his garage. And he goes on and he puts on a performance that I would argue was better than any other performance he had done, not to mention the volume and the conditioning. And that's just something that you can't have if you don't train. Some guys are really good athletes or some guys have a natural power. Like we've all been on teams with guys who get away with stuff that's contrary to what the coach tells us. So we're all in there working really hard, but this guy gets the better results. We've all seen that to some degree. 
But every now and then, because it's such a cutting edge, it's such a fine line where at certain ages in your life, you get better, you get stronger just by staying alive. You just mature and you just get better. And Max was right around that age. Max was around 26 years old at the time of story that I'm talking about. So there is a period of Max's life where he is going to get better just by doing it. Not to mention rest can be very helpful. Rest in short terms, not only does it repair and get your body feeling better, it'll rest your mind. It'll, it'll get you out of that grind. And these are some positives that you could get from a guy in Max Holloway who once upon a time was the best in the world, arguably the best to have ever done. And by the way, now he's alone in his garage. So as surprising as it was, as good as he was looking, there was a little bit of a logical justification for it. Max is getting rest. It's a lot like a video game, guys. Remember when you're playing a video game and your power meter goes down, but then you get a little rest from your opponent, you're standing there and your power meter goes back up. Like that happens in real life, but there's a, there's a cutting edge. There's a fine line where eventually that rest and that recuperation turns into you're just being a lazy guy. I don't have any evidence of that from Max. I'm just sharing for you some of his best performances, I feel, were the two performances that he had during COVID when he was training in his garage by himself. So it's an interesting concept because meanwhile, Volkanovski's over on the other side of the tracks with arguably the truest team in the history of our sport. We hear that term a lot. He represents this team or he's with this team, but we don't have a lot of teams in MMA. They would turn on each other instantly. Contracts got drawn. They go out. They'd, they'd fight for your belt. They'd turn the gun on one another. No problem. They got a better offer somewhere else. They'll, they'll load up a U-Haul. They'll drive across the country. Never look back. And MMA, for the most part, that's true. City kickboxing is a massive exception. Again, if you were to just go back to the pandemic, but I can remember reading things about how locked down New Zealand was, and a number of the guys moved into the gym. They moved into the gym so that they weren't out in public going to and fro. They all lived there. And some of those guys that were doing that, that were living at the gym, and I'm talking about big names from Adesanya, Dan Hooker, guys like this, didn't even have fights coming up. They were doing that because teammates had fights coming up. They needed to be bodies. They needed to be on the other side of the coin. So city kickboxing is this fascinating thing where they're all locked down. They're all getting better. We've seen that with Volkanovski's fights. We've seen that grit. We saw him dig deep in the Brian Ortega fight where he had five different ways to flick it. Five different ways to get out of that night, save face, and move on to the next one. He didn't take any of them. And if you compare that with Max, who I argue for you, has put on his best performances since losing the belt to Volkanovski, I think Max is better. But how did Max get better? How would an athlete actually get better? In fighting, you're not learning and you're not actually doing anything on Saturday night when the people are looking that you didn't learn 10 years ago. You're always going to get a trainer, you're always going to get a coach, and you're always going to come up with your strategy and go into your little training camp. And the second you get to the locker room the night of the fight, you throw all of it out and you revert to something that you've done 10 years ago. Mike Tyson famously said everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. But it's very accurate. You're not using anything that you picked up in the last 6, 8, 10 weeks of a training camp. That's all make-believe in the coach's head. That he sat down, he figured out something, you go, come outside. None of it's true. And you'll drill it and you'll warm up on it. You'll do it for 10 weeks. And when you get into that fight, you're going to turn to what you really know. So just like any rematch, guys, we have to ask ourselves the same question every time. Every single time two guys are getting down there to go and do a rematch, what's going to be different this time? But it's a little bit easier to answer that question. Volkanovsky is meaningfully better. We also know why. 
We also know the repetition. We also know the rounds that he's got, and we also know the experience that he has. If you turn to Max, one of the reasons that he looks so good is he started doing something different. He did rest his mind. He did rest his body. Max was tired when he was fighting Volkanovski those first two times. Whether Max knew it or not, when he was forced to rest, his power meter went up. So now we're left with, well, who, whose power meter got higher? Was the activity and the reps of Volkanovski, and that's where Khabib is favoring. Khabib was favoring in this interview, in this comment, he liked that Volk was active. He liked that he was a little bit busier than Max, which gave him a nudge over Max. Now, most times I would agree, most times that's obvious, and we all would agree. But there are some guys with rest. There are some guys that get better at something, not by going harder, not by grinding themselves down. And I don't know where Max is at, in all fairness. The pandemic, the rules, everything has changed, and it's changed a period of time ago. He's done a full training camp for Volkanovski, as he did for the first two fights with Volkanovski. I'm suggesting for you that what my eyes showed me is that Max was better when he was locked in his garage by himself. Now, that can't be true forever. You got to get out there and you got to get busy at some point. You got to have somebody known as a coach over you, grinding on you, pushing on you, getting more hours, more reps, more time, more jumps of the rope. Where does Max sit? And age-wise, a lot of things are on Holloway's side. A lot of stuff that you couldn't get away with as an older or more seasoned fighter. And guys, that's what I think that the spotlight is on John Jones so much for with this John Jones experiment. When John Jones comes back, there will be times of his life when you could have floated gyms and you could have got kicked out and you could have got a couple weeks in Arizona here and there. I don't know if they're still true. And I only bring that to you because it would seem to me we're going to see a very different fight between Holloway and Volkanovski. And one thing that we've always favored Holloway with is his ability for pace, that he can throw more at you than your opponent. The one time that that's going to get pushed back on is with Volkanovski. Now, do those rep of Volkanovski helped him? Everybody's only got so many bullets in the chamber. Volkanovski's fired a lot of those bullets since he's seen Max last. Khabib thinks that's a positive. I would share with you the other side of the coin, which is while experience and staying busy for sure is a good thing, every now and then rest is also a positive. And I think you're going to have a very different fight when we see Holloway versus Volkanovski this weekend. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. My International Fight Week coverage will continue on Friday where I will give my official predictions. And don't forget that on Sunday afternoon, I'm going to give a reaction show for you guys. I want you to check that out as well. That's enough from me for today, but I'm going to be back again on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.